This is a, what we call a Taz Equip, which is a time for equipping the saints. Ephesians 4 says Jesus gave gifts to the church for the equipping of saints until we come to a place of maturity. And uh, we recognize certain gifts and we welcome them to, to bring equipping. Uh, Tyron is one of those gifts that we recognize. I've known Tyron for quite a few years. Uh, we planted together in Denver. I've never met anyone who isn't more consistent with keeping us focused on Jesus than Tyron. And uh, I know he has a love for Jesus, but I also know that he's a man of integrity. And a man whose heart is that Jesus is glorified. And so I just, it's to me uh, uh, just an honor and a privilege that he's come and the other guys who are part of the, uh, the team who have come as well, uh, just to sow into us spiritually, not just in what's being said, but in just the, the spirit, that these guys would take time and pay to come here. I mean, think about that. What a privilege. So thank you guys all for coming. And thank you, Tyron. Please come and share what God has on your heart. And let's open up our hearts. Let's just pray. Let's just pray for Tyron. Lord, we do. Thank you that your spirit leads us into all truth. And we say, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We open our hearts to you. We thank you that you want to equip us, that that's, you're carrying out the work of Jesus, that you want to equip us. We thank you. We receive the gift that you've given for this purpose and ask that you would just pour out your blessing, your anointing, your favor, your grace upon Tyrant. Help him to communicate what you put on his heart so that your word can reach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Well, good evening. Happy Valentine's Day, I believe. Uh, no? Get to join with us on Valentine's. What a joy. It's, uh, my wife's happy that I'm here and she's in the U.S., but anyway, I did say hi to her and FaceTimed her earlier. It's, she sends her love. They, Valentine's is not yet. It's tomorrow for them. So, But uh, what a night. What a great, great time of singing and worshiping. Well done to the team. Wonderful to worship Jesus. And uh, I really do appreciate the opportunity just to share the word. I want to tell you, we're still worshiping Jesus. We haven't stopped. We didn't stop worship to hear the word. I love when people kind of give us a moment to share, which is great. But I hate it when they say, hey, and Russ didn't do that. I waited to see if he would. But he didn't say, hey, uh, we're going to stop worshiping so we can hear Tyron preach, because that's the biggest insult for me. Because some people are like, we're going to stop worshiping Jesus to hear this man. That's not what this is about. We're about worshiping him all the time. And we need to understand, I think, more and more that everything we do, if it's done for the glory of God, is worship. How we respond, his words speaking to us, the way we respond, the contributions we make. Even if you have to get up in the morning and go to work. If you're doing that for the glory of God, it's all part of worship. Everything we do, we are a lifestyle of worship, not a moment. 
And uh, I trust that this evening we'll continue to worship the Lord through His Word, but also through our responses. And uh, I want to tell you, God is a God who speaks, and God is speaking, and He wants us to respond. And uh, I love the prayers. I love that we sing. I love that we get invited. But God's looking for our hearts to respond. There's nothing haphazard about this God that we serve. There's purpose to everything he does and everything he says. And he's not looking for hearers. He's looking for responders. And I trust this evening we will all, including me, respond. But it is a great privilege to come back to Australia and to be in Tasmania, the center of it all, I believe. Is that right? And Launceston, this is it. And uh, I've missed out, but now I have arrived. And uh, what a place. What a beautiful, beautiful place. And we're delighted. We're cheering you. Uh, it's wonderful to have other churches here. We appreciate that. Russ and Mary Doty are very special to us. As Russ has said, we've done many things together, taken the world. It's not quite finished in the job, but we've had a joyful time. And we loved that they were with us in Denver, Colorado. And then they sp- God spoke to them about coming back here. Kind of painful for us, but rejoicing. And now we see the fruit and the friendships and the partnership. And this is a God thing, not a Russ and Mary or an NCMI. It's a God thing. And if it's not a God thing, we don't want anything to be a part of it. But if God's in it, we want to be in it. And so we just rejoice with you. As Russ said, it's great to have some of these other guys around from our team, just traveling, flown in, just be here. Maybe not even get an opportunity to preach today, but they're here, supporting, praying for, crying out. The whole world is praying for this weekend, literally. And uh, anything can happen when we get together in His name for His glory. So thank you for the opportunity. It's an absolute delight. I'm privileged to be here. I'm going to ask you, please, to turn in your Bibles uh, to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. And uh, this evening, I'm just going to kind of lay a bit of a foundation, if I can. And I recognize that I'm preaching to mostly the converted here. I think the thing we, we often want to do is always come, come, give me the next thing or the new thing. But often God wants to remind us of the thing He is doing. We get so busy with the next that we forget about the now. And we also get so busy with so many things. The thing I'm realizing more and more is the devil is out to destroy us. And I'm not here to give him any glory. I'm just telling you he's real. And uh, what I also am realizing more and more is that while the devil desires to destroy us, he hasn't been given the power to destroy us. But he has been given the power to distract us. And I believe one of the major ways he destroys us is by distracting us. And I guarantee in this room, the majority of you are good people with good hearts wanting to do what God's called you to. But having a good heart and wanting to doesn't necessarily mean we are doing what God's called us to. Because there's so many good voices, so many people, so many things out there that are catching our attention as followers of Jesus. And even as the church, we read more books, and I'm not against books, and we hear more podcasts, and I'm not against those things either, and neither is God, by the way. But in saying that, we've got so many voices telling us what we could and what should be doing, and, and I think at times like this, we just got to come back to the Word of God and say, Lord, is what we're giving our lives and our attention to really what you've called us to, or is it just another thing that we're tagging on and adding on? I, I, I don't want to get to the end of my life and wonder if I've lived in what God had. I don't want to sow my family and friends into the nations of the world and give my life to serve perhaps something that might not last. 
I want to make sure again and again, going back to the Word of God, back to truth. And, and I think one of the biggest challenges for our day is authenticity. It's probably the most, the, the biggest need is authenticity. Would you agree? Yeah. Don't hate me. I'm the messenger. So don't shoot the messenger. But let me tell you about Facebook. Who's on Facebook? Confess your sins. This is church tonight. Okay, great. Somebody sent me this, Facebook. They said, I'm trying to make friends outside of Facebook while applying the same principles. Therefore, every day I walk down the street and I tell passers-by what I've eaten, how I feel at the moment, what I've done that night before, and what I'll do later on with and with whom. I give them pictures of my family, my dog, of me gardening, watering the lawn, standing in front of landmarks, driving around town, having lunch and pictures of what anybody and any, everybody does every day. Doesn't that sound insane? <laughs> I also listen to their conversations, give them a thumbs up, and I tell them that I like them. And it works just like Facebook. I already have four people following me. Two police officers, a private investigator, and a psychiatrist. I'm not knocking Facebook. I'm just saying we need authenticity. We need to be followers of Jesus who are real, who are connected, yes, in and through Facebook, but are also true to who we're supposed to be and what God's called us to do. I think the biggest kind of this artificial fix, fixation that we're about, probably best illustrated by the guy who tried to get rid of mice that he had in his house. And so he bought a mouse trap and he had no cheese. And to overcome the problem, he cut out of a picture of cheese from the magazine. And he loaded the trap with artificial cheese and he went to bed. And when he checked the mouse trap the following morning, he was quite surprised to find a picture of a mouse in the trap. You see, friends, a counterfeit lifestyle will always produce artificial results. My dad used to teach us, if you want to have New Testament results, you must build with New Testament patterns. We all want the results of what we see through the Bible, but then we've got to actually build with the pattern of the Word of God so we can see those results. I love to read the book of Acts. I love to read the whole Bible. I love all the books. I believe they're all God-breathed. I believe they all matter, even Leviticus and the things I don't all understand. It's all because God wanted it there. But the book of Acts, to me, is one of those books that I want to suggest that we read regularly, even through all our other reading, because it shows us something of the revelation of Jesus. It shows us the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It shows us these gifts working together. We see the cities being changed because of the, the presence of the Holy Spirit through the church everyday living, and we see this, the gospel in action, and I love to read the book of Acts, but I want to tell you, when I read the book of Acts, is there like a party next door? It's Valentine's party, we're just going to go and crash that party in a bit, it's a better one here, yeah, you're right, but in saying it, don't worry about the music, right, music's cool, we're good with music, I'll dance in a minute, don't worry, (laughs) so can I just 
tell you, I get challenged when I read through the book of Acts. Maybe some of us don't like to read the book of Acts because it challenges us too much. See, the Word of God is a mirror, not just a lens. And that's what I want you please to hear this evening and tomorrow, that the stuff that we share, that I share, is not at you, it's God speaking to us. I'm not here on your island downloading my latest revelation and getting on a plane and leaving. We're on a journey together. God speaking to all of us. And there are no experts in this kingdom. We don't need another expert telling us what to do. We need to hear from God together as we're all on this journey, hearing God responding. And so this, this evening, I want to say, when I read through Scripture, I'm challenged. The book of Acts challenges me. I'll just highlight a few things that I'm challenged by the book of Acts. Number one, this is awesome. God reigns. Despite circumstances, God reigns. And I think the church needs to hear that again. Another thing I see in the book of Acts, without His presence and power, we can't do anything. Another thing I see through the book of Acts is that God wants His church to grow. Another thing is that the people in the church were willing to work hard, but also beg God to intervene on their behalf. There's the God factor and the our factor, us responding, but we need God to break in, but we also call to work, friends. There's a job to do as God's people here on earth. Another thing I see in the book of Acts is a praying church is unstoppable. Not God's church, a praying church. Not the church, a church that prays. Not by law and duty, but understanding, weakness, leaning on omnipotence. We, God's people, need God to intervene. And so a praying church is unstoppable. Another thing, and this is where it gets challenging, when I read the book of Acts, is that the church had to let go of the comfortable and the familiar in order to fully follow Jesus and advance His gospel. Couple of amens. You see, now it's going to get quiet. Another thing I read in the book of Acts is this the message of the church was Jesus. Nothing political or social. They didn't try legislate, legislate morality, simply Jesus. And the church was passionate about seeing people coming to Christ. Can I also say that when I read the book of Acts, I realize the crowd's opinions always changed. But the leaders in the church knew that. And they were focused on Jesus and not on the opinions of people. And for me, the biggest thing that I get out of the book of Acts, actually the whole Bible, is this. If Jesus is not setting us on fire, then the fire will go out. So this evening, I want to talk about the centrality of Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you've all heard this, and I guarantee you all know this, but not the question this evening is, not do you know this, not do we, have we heard this. Are we living this? And I'm being challenged by this too, but I want to just lay that foundation this evening, just in light of all that's going to be said the rest of the day, and not ask us to look around and question others. This is God speaking to us. This is individuals responding. And if you can say yes, it's not in arrogance. It's yes, God, but there's more. 
But others of us perhaps have got busy with all this stuff and the centrality of Christ comes back when we hear messages. But we've got to live, friends, with the revelation of Jesus Christ. The church in Tasmania, the church in Australia has no future if it's not wrapped up in Christ and Christ alone. There is no hope for the world if it's the church. The church is not the hope of the world. Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. And I wonder truly, if we ask what people are saying out there about us, would they say churches are awesome, people are awesome, or would they say Jesus is awesome, the Jesus who you represent, the body of Christ, people seeing Christ in us? I wonder if that be true for each of us. And so I, I still believe it's the greatest battlefront in the kingdom of God is the truth about Jesus Christ. The it's not the gifts, it's not the spirits, it's all these other things that we've made. It's still the greatest battlefront in the, in the kingdom today is the truth about Jesus Christ. Who is Christ? If you truly want to know the reality of the church, then how we speak of Jesus, our ideas or our thoughts of Christ are the true revealer of us as the church, as individuals. And as followers of Jesus. And I, I said that to the pastors this afternoon. You know, I'm privileged to lead this team called New Covenant Ministries. And we're one of many. I realize that. And there are other guys doing great things. And we celebrate because it's a kingdom thing, not our thing. We're not gathering in the name of the church tonight or even the name of NCMI. Because the church and the NCMI have no name if it's not wrapped up in Christ and Christ alone. That's where our power is. And so we often, all over, how many churches do you have partnering with NCMI? And we try not count. And not because we're countless, but God's not counting. See, we measure success by counting. But God doesn't count success. He weighs it. He ain't going to pull out a calculator at the end of time and count how many people in your church and how many did you get saved and how many eh, divide this and split this church and you know divide and separate and multiply. And all good things, but he's not going to bring a calculator. He wouldn't need one. He's God. He knows everything. But we think the calculator will come out. It's all about growth and all about numbers. We count. He ain't going to bring a calculator. He's going to bring out the scales. And he's going to weigh how much of Jesus is in me, in us, in what we're doing. And that will be the deciding factor of the success when it comes to eternal success. No one's ever asked me how much of Jesus is in what you're doing. How many churches do you have? How many people in your church? How big is your church? How many nations? And I mean, they're good questions, but no one to this day, even after I've preached this, have said, how much of Jesus is in what you're doing? It doesn't even feature, because we look at success differently to how God does. I'm not saying numbers aren't important, but they're not the thing that matters most. Yet that's what we pursue most, rather than how much of Jesus. The biggest battlefront in the kingdom is the truth about who Jesus really is. See, Jesus... We know in, in history that the Jews tried to contain him to their law. He was reduced to their law. The Greeks sought to turn him into a philosophy. The Romans made an empire of him. Europeans reduced him to a culture. And we Americans, you know what we did with Jesus? We made a business out of him. Hey, hey, hey. So did you. <laughs> okay. 
So I'm saying those things, friends, because no doubt the intentions were good, but missed the revelation of who Jesus really is. The most revealing thing about your life, my life, my marriage, my household, is my truth about Jesus. And that's why I think we've got to keep contending this battlefront and bring him back to what the Word of God says about Jesus Christ. You see, here's the thing, friends. Our Christology determines our missiology. And our missiology determines our ecclesiology. And that sounds very impressive. Simply saying, our revelation of Jesus determines our mission on this earth. And our mission shapes the church. But honestly today, this is what happens. We, the church, gather as the church. And we become, and it's all about us. And then suddenly we realize, gee, we better do something with those people. So we decide to send them on a mission to Asia or Africa or Mexico, wherever it is. And so we tag on a mission. And then we come to Easter Or Christmas, and we suddenly realize, hang on, Jesus needs to be in the mix of this church. And so we tag Jesus onto a mission, and that's what we're trying to do as the church. I want to say we got it all wrong, all back to front, because our revelation of Jesus determines our mission here on earth. I can stand up here and shout at you and tell you, you need to tell people about Jesus, and you need to be a missional people, and you need to be focused on mission. And as long as I'm shouting, you're going to feel really bad and guilty and go do it. But if you and I catch our revelation of Jesus, the automatic response is we tell people about Jesus. We go because of Jesus. We're not forced to. We don't need evangelists telling us to go. We stirred because Christ determines our mission. And then the church is shaped around the revelation of Jesus and the mission. And the church is functioning as God intended His church to, rather than adding on and tagging on. Are you there, friends? I hope you're quiet just because you're Tasmanian, that's all. (laughs) Focus on Christ. He will focus our mission, and our mission will shape our church. Colossians chapter 1, quickly please, verse 13. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Now can I pause and just say, I'm ignorant to most of you, and I don't know most of you, and it's the best place to preach, because I'm ignorant. I don't know. So I'm just, if you offended, I don't know. If, <laughs> I'm just ignorant most, so this is fun, because I'm not, I don't have any axe to grind here. I just want to see God's people, including me, live in the bigness that God intended and the fullness of what God intended. But the Bible says that He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. How many of you are delighted that we are forgiven of all sin? I mean, friends, I'll tell you what, I was a pretty bad dude. I mean, bad, bad stuff. And I have been forgiven. Doesn't that just, I wake up every morning thinking about what I've been given, forgiven of. It's not abuse. I don't abuse it. I'm absolutely understanding grace for my life. I've been forgiven of sin. He has taken all the stuff that I've done and chosen to forget it. He doesn't forget it, otherwise he'd cease to be God. He chooses not to remember it anymore because of Jesus Christ. My sin of old is gone. My sin and my future sin forgiven. How many of you think that's awesome? I mean, if you don't think that, then you need to understand forgiveness again. But can I tell you, there's something even more significant than the forgiveness of sin is that Jesus breaks the power of sin. 
Not only are we forgiven, He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Or can Christians sin? Yes. I know lots of them who sin all the time. And it's not because they don't understand forgiveness. They've forgotten the power has been broken. And I want to tell you, just as a side thought this evening, you cannot find forgiveness and break free trying to be good. If we could do this in the flesh, then we don't need the Spirit. We don't need Christ. But I want to say this evening, some of us perhaps in this room have tried and been to counseling and all this stuff to try and get free. Maybe, maybe we just need to get back to the understanding. He has broken the power. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. The domain of darkness has been broken over our lives. And I love that because I don't have to live under sin and live in sin. God broken the power of sin, rescued us. From the dominion of darkness. And here's what I love. And he's brought us into. Saved out of and brought into. Again, my dad, just because I quote my dad because I lived in his home for many years. And my dad always used to say, it's more important what you get saved into than what you get saved out of. I mean, think about that. You get get some guy who got saved from some radical stuff. The Hells Angels, bikers. Remember, have you heard of them? They have them here, I think. Yeah, and... You get a hell's angel guy who got saved, and you're like, come tell us your testimony. This is the testimony. I was a bad dude. I've murdered 500 people. And then you stand up and you say, and then I got saved and sit down. I'm like, yeah, that, that's the beginning. We're so enamored by what you got saved from. We should be more enamored what you got saved into. The testimony should be, this is who I was. This is who I am. And this is what I'm now doing. I'm saved into something way better than what I've come out of. Paul said we've been rescued and we've been brought into, transferred from and taken into. We're into the kingdom of God. More important what we've come into than what we've come out of. And he says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son, not the Son out there, Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. How many believe he's important after what we just read? If we get in the point, it's all about him. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him. In Him, all things hold together. And He, Jesus, is the head of the body. The church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything. Can you say everything? Everything. In Him. So that in everything... He might have the supremacy, preeminence, that He will have first place in everything. (laughs) Now I'm telling you, I am challenged by that verse, and I hope you are too. He's been given all authority, all power, everything's been created for Him, in Him, in Him, He holds it all together, and it says this, and He's been given first place in everything. The question for me and you tonight, does He truly not have a place, but first place. 
You see, I, I think if you look around, Jesus has got prominence in many lives, and Jesus has prominence in many churches, but I don't know if he has first place, if he has preeminence. And this isn't control, this is freedom. And our revelation of Jesus, where we put him in all of this, determines our mission, which determines the church. And friends, we've got to stick to God's plan if we want to walk in God's purposes. That in all things, Christ will have first place. In my life, in my ministry, in my family, in my marriage, in my raising of my sons, in the leading of local churches, in leading new covenant ministries, that in all of these things, he's been given first place, but does he have first place? You see, Jesus... When he's preeminent, that's when we find our significance. We'll never find significance, and there will be no significance to what we do if Christ is not preeminent in what we're doing. See, Paul declares that everything finds its meaning and significance in Christ. Jesus Christ is the central theme and focus of everything you and I are and everything we'll ever be. Christ must be at the center of all things, both in our individual lives and in our, in our local churches and as the church. See, we claim that He is, but is He? How many of you are at A.W. Tozer? I love to quote A.W. Tozer. My mother handed me an A.W. Tozer book when I was a real young kid, and I loved the Tozer. I don't understand all of the language, but I want to tell you, I love some of those quotes. I'm not promoting a man, but he understood some things. He said this, A.W. Tozer said this, The present position of Christ in most churches, may be likened to the king, to that of a king in a limited constitutional monarchy. So the king has no more than a traditional rallying point, a pleasant symbol of unity and loyalty, much like a flag or a national anthem. He's admired, he's celebrated, and maybe even supported by his real authority, but his real authority is small. He's head over all, but in every crisis, someone else makes the decision. <laughs> He's head over everything except in crisis. We, don't, we make the decision, he does. Are, are you there, friends? So I, I want to try and highlight this very simply this evening. I'm a simple guy, and I want to show you something, if I can. And I, if you've heard me share this, I make no apologies. If you've heard someone else share this, that's great too. Oh, my son's going to help me. Thank you, son. I'm going to just quickly highlight a few things, if I can. This is how I see the supremacy of Christ, the preeminence of Jesus. Because I, I think if we make one of these our focus, we're not significant in what He's called us to. But if we put them in the right context, are you going to bring this to me, son? Please, thank you. So I want to just take a moment. Can you read that? I know from... He's from New Zealand. Can you read this, sir, from New Zealand? Sorry, I'm not picking on the year, I'm picking on the Kiwis. So, life, life, you see that? I want to spend a moment here because this is vital for us if we understand the supremacy of Christ, all right? Life. I, I, I believe that every life matters to God, including yours. Now, now we love to tell the world this, but I want to tell the church this tonight. Your life matters. Now you can't tell the world this if you don't believe this for you. You can't give what you haven't got. 
And I'd love to spend the night talking about this because you'd all love me, but there's more to it than this. But I want to take a moment and say, your life matters. My life matters. In actual fact, I honestly believe this, that if I was the only person on this planet, Jesus would have come back just for me. He would have died just for me. I honestly believe that. Now what makes me different to you? Do you believe if you were the only person with all your stuff, all your nonsense, all your history, all the stuff you wish didn't happen, maybe you don't know, and I'm trying to be careful here this evening, maybe you don't know who your parents are, maybe you've never met your dad, maybe your mother hates you, maybe you've been told all your life you're a mistake. There are many people like that, but Jesus would have come just for you. I've been privileged to be raised in a household where I know my parents and they loved me. They were not perfect, but they were followers of Jesus when I was born. And I was blessed to have family like that. But I want to tell you, some of you I know, and I meet a lot of people who've never met their parents. They've been told they're mistakes. Their parents wish they were never born. They maybe were born out of wedlock, maybe out of prostitution. Honestly, I, I want to bring the reality. Whatever your circumstance, please hear this. You matter to God. And the devil doesn't want us to believe that because he knows if you believe that, you'll be a major influence on people around you. If you truly believe this, if I, it doesn't mean I believe it 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, but I honestly believe he loves me and he would have come just for me to save me. And that is true for every person in this room this evening. The Bible says Jesus came just for you. You matter. You are valuable. It's irrelevant what people think, what pastors think, what leaders think. It's irrelevant pastors this evening. How many people you have in your church, your life matters regardless of the people following you. doesn't matter how you messed it up. I'm not endorsing sin. I'm just telling you, you matter. If I had a $100 bill and I picked it up here and I showed it to you and said, who wants this? I'm sure you'd all say, yeah, of course I'll take it. If I messed it up and even ripped it up and held it up, how many of you still want it? All of you. Why? Because it's still 100 bucks, even if it's messed up. Still got the same value, right? So with all our stuff, we're still valuable, friends. And this is so good for the church to know because how do you tell people that God loves them if you can't believe God loves you? You're valuable. You're so valuable that He did everything to save you and empower you with the Holy Spirit and to give you hope and a future. We've been made with purpose and destiny. Some of us find this harder to believe than anything else, but it's got to start here for the centrality of Jesus Christ. Leaders have to stop looking at their worth, their worth in what they do and get back to their worth in who they are. Psalm 139, quickly, 13, just read. Let me read it to you, verse 13 to 16. For you, David's crying out, he says, for you, speaking to God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The destiny and the purpose and the prophetic notion of God for our lives, we haven't even seen it. But before one of them would come to be, God said, I've written them for you. Do you believe this? 
That you've been made with delight. He delights in you. That you've been made with dignity. Not because of the stuff you have or the things you do. Just because He gives us dignity. He's given us destiny, friends, and purpose. Nothing haphazard about us. No mistakes. God determined places and times where and when we live. God's done this with purpose. And He's done that with you. But with it comes duty and responsibility. Winston Churchill said, We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. It's wonderful to have a getting, but we've been put on this planet by God with purpose and destiny, responsibility, duty, not performance, purpose. Are you there, friend? So when God looks at our lives, He sees Value. And I, I hope you're hearing that. I don't know what your lifestyle's been and what your life, but this is vital this evening for us if we're going to move into the bigness of what God has. We've got to settle. He loves us and our lives matter and He is in the detail. He knows everything. This is the God who we worship and serve. So it's actually all about you for a moment. God has created us. And He's given us dignity and purpose. Do you believe that? So if I'm not getting amens with that, I'm not going to get amens for anything else because that is the best. So it's going to get harder. But I really want to tell you, it is about you, but now I'm going to tell you it's not about you. Local church, Kiwis. All right. And I'm saying this. You might see that I said local church, not the church. Again, I'm ignorant here, but I'm telling you, I would probably... Note that there's probably many people who don't believe in the local church anymore. Church, yeah, we get the church thing. Like, like I'm saved and I'm called out, so I'm now part of the church. But local church is what God intended for His people. You see, God looks at our lives and He sees our lives in the context of a local church. <laughs> now, I've got no skin in the game here. I get to get on an airplane and leave, so I've got no dog in the fight. I don't need you to be part of any church, including Russ and Mary's or our friend from somewhere else who's here and whoever else from somewhere else. I, I'm not pushing the church or promote. I'm telling you, you want to find your self-worth and your understanding of dignity and purpose and understand the centrality of Christ. You've got to see your life connected into a local church. I'm not preaching church, but I want to tell you, God doesn't see your life separate from Christ's body. And who, who hasn't had bad experience with the church? Put your hand up. There's probably no one in this room, including the preacher here. But it doesn't mean did you have a bad experience to reject. There are many people in this country today who've rejected the notion of the local church. Me and God, my life and God, we don't need the local church. Doesn't that sound awesome? No, it doesn't. Sounds horrendous and lonely and not God's intention. <laughs> See, local church, you cannot be connected to Jesus and separated from His body. There's no scripture you can find to back that. If you are a Pink Floyd fan, then every brick needs a wall. If you're a gangster, every priest needs a hood. If you're a Kiwi, every sheep needs a pen. 
And that's what the Bible says to you, hon. Just saying. Every tree needs to be planted. I mean, I can go on and on. It's in the Bible. You see, to be connected to Jesus, my life matters. But I'm part of the big, great universe, the church out there. The, but not linked to a local church. You can't grow if you're not planted. I don't know much about flowers, trees, and shrubs, and bushes. I don't. I'm not that interested. I like, but they look prettier. But I know this. If they're not planted, or if they're uprooted all the time, they can't grow. <laughs> so God's way is our lives of individual lives are linked and connected in local church, friends. Serving and committed. Not to a man, but accountable, submitted, and serving, and being who God called you to be. It's amazing that God doesn't put you in a church you necessarily like everyone. He doesn't. I can't see that in the Bible. I wish it were true because I'm looking for that church. But it's not. He doesn't say, I put you. Yeah, let me just, while I'm here, stand on some toes. Just, you see, there's some people, perhaps, again, I'm ignorant for where you're at, but I'm sure you've faced this before. <laughs> We spend our lives looking for a church where we will belong. I just want to belong. I just want to fit. If I could just fit. And you will, you know what the devil will do? He'll make sure you'll find a church you'll never fit. Why? Because you're not going to fit where you think you can fit. See, God takes, the Bible says in Isaiah 41 and 42, one of those great texts, it says, The poor and the needy search for water, but there's none. But I, the God of Israel, will, will answer, I'll not forsake him. I'll cause rivers to flow in barren heights. And he, and he brings out this, where there's nothing, I'll create something. And then he says, I'm going to take trees, shrubs, bushes, myrtle, olives, cedars. Sorry, Mary knows all these great, being the, the horticulturist, green thumb you are. And, but I don't know. what. Let me just tell you, there's a whole lot of trees and shrubs and bushes, he says that he's going to take and he's going to put them in the desert together. Now, I, I've studied this and I've realized that those trees, shrubs, and bushes don't all belong together and they don't all belong in the desert. But God says, I'm going to take what doesn't belong, what doesn't fit, and I'm going to make it fit and belong. But he goes on and he says that people may see and consider and understand it's the hand of the Lord that has done this. So can I say to you this evening, God wants to take you who doesn't fit anywhere and make you fit somewhere where you don't feel like you belong or fit, but He makes you fit with all these other trees, shrubs, and bushes that are not like you. This is not natural. And when you think the church is natural, we're in serious trouble of causing issues and seeing the differences that we have. God takes what doesn't belong and He fits them together and causes them to belong. And He puts you with people, honestly, that irritate you because He wants you to grow up. He puts you with people who are not like you so you can grow up. So here's what we got to settle. Where has God put me, not where do I fit? Where's God put me, not where do I like? And this is this is so. I mean, I'm facing this too. I lead a church, and Russ and Mary planted that church. They've left. I planted that church with them. We led that church. Now I'm still in it. Russ and Mary left. I'm still in the church I planted. Just they've done well, but I'm now led by one of the guys we've raised up. We and I'm in that church. And let me tell you, it's not easy being in the church you planted. I'm just saying. <laughs> 
Don't feel bad for me. I just, I'm talking about the same truth. God put us there and He hasn't told us to leave. And I'm not going to be there and endure and be a headache. I want to be a blessing and helping. But God, and here's the thing. I've seen my sons. There's one of them. They've grown up. They're maturing. We planted in the house. They're flourishing because we planted. We're not attending a church. We planted in submission with people who are not like us. But God put us together because He sees the value of my life connected into a local church. And you've got to see that. I don't know where you're going. If you're just attending a meeting somewhere, you need to get planted in the house. And, and let me get in more trouble just while I'm here. Don't let your children decide where you're planted. Are you, I mean, I want my sons to be happy, but they'll be happy where God put us. Not where they'll be happy and we'll just tag along as mom and dad. I mean, if I was to buy a house, with all due respect, I wouldn't take my two-year-old son and say, hey boy, tell me, do you like this house? Is it a great investment? My son or my daughter, my kids will love the house that I buy because it'll become our home. We would never take a child to determine our investment. Now, can I suggest where you fellowship in Christ is more important than the house you buy. But we're allowing our happy family, then we'll just serve God. No, no, you better know where God's put you, my dear friend. God wants to link us in the right place to be a blessing, also to grow up with people around us. So God says, I don't want you as part of this church. I want you in a local church. It's in the Bible. And we said earlier, it's more important once you get saved into what church you're in matters more than what you've come out of. That's why we've got to keep the church focused on Christ. Because those people get saved from sin into bondage if we're not focusing on the right things. I'm not preaching church, but you can't separate the value of our lives linked to a local church. Even with all the stuff we see in the church we don't like, God hasn't got another plan. Jesus loves His church. He's coming back for His church. Those people, He have purchased them with His blood. And the church matters. Even today in 2020, here in Tasmania, Jesus is about His church. Are your, is your life linked to a local church? Oh, now the pastors are amening, because, gee, now we've got, yeah, yeah. Well, here's the good news. There's another context to this great this church. Are you with me? So now the local church has been given a great commission. Can I tell you this great commission is only great because it's ordained by the great king. That's the only thing that makes this commission great. Is it's been ordained by the great king. That's why it's a great commission. Have you heard about the great commission? Gee, I hope you have. Why? Because that was Jesus' last words to his followers. Surely some of his last words would be some of the most important words. His last words, our first work. The Great Commission, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples, followers of Jesus, making followers of Jesus. So our lives are in the context of local church. But the local church has a context called the Great Commission, which means it's not all about us. We take our eyes off ourselves and begin to look out. The mission, the Great Commission. Ministry beyond. Let me tell you, friends, when we lose the heart of the Great Commission, I believe we lose the very heart of Jesus Christ. We don't tag this on. This is the reason God's put us here for the Great Commission. It was David Livingston who said, If we were to be commissioned by an earthly king, we would consider it an honor. 
Why then, when we're commissioned by a heavenly king, do we see it as such a sacrifice? I used to preach the price of the Great Commission. I've gone back to the privilege that He, Jesus, has entrusted, not pastors in the church, individuals in this room, all of us have the privilege of followers of Jesus making followers of Jesus. The measure of a great church is not the seating capacity. I mean, I've, I've seen some incredible facilities, even in Australia. I want, yeah, anyway, and, and the one guy that I know really well, he's my mate. I'm very different to us. He showed me his building. His seats have air conditioners. Each seat blows wind. And I'm telling you, I would never want to leave that church. I mean, it's, it's, every individual seat has an air conditioner. I mean, I'm not saying it's bad, but who's going to ever want to leave that church? And, and I'm wild. I'm amazed by what they've built. But here's the thing. We don't measure... We measure the seating capacity in the building is an absolute wow. But Jesus looks and says, how many people are being sent from this church? Not how many can seat in, sit in this church. I'm not saying it's wrong to make it a, have, have air conditioners. But I am saying we focus on the wrong things. The Great Commission. Yeah. Somebody said this. <laughs> yes, great church there. Somebody said, if the world is not your parish... And your parish will become your world. I think it's true. Many people's church is their world. God help us. There's a world that the church is called to reach. See, when the church ceases to be involved in its mission, I believe it's betrayed its trust. In actual fact, I think when we lose that heart for the Great Commission, we surrender our very reason for existence as a church. There's a party going on there. We get hurry up. Let's go and join it. All right, next point. Are you, are you okay? Yes. Nearly done. Great Commission. Heard about it, right? But the Great Commission is in the context of the gospel. The gospel. I'm sure there's people here that love the gospel, and I hope you all do. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation. The gospel. Friends, can I say two things about the gospel? Number one, the gospel is to be told to the world. It's good news. But you know, it's only good news if it gets to people in time. And so this is good news to be told to the world. And the thing about the gospel, as we've often now reduced it, it's not a gospel takes bad people and makes them good. The gospel, we know, takes dead people and makes them alive. It's not the bad, now good. It's dead, now alive. That's the gospel. And so it needs to be taught to the world. I mean, told to the world. We've got a mandate, a mission. This great commission is in the context of the gospel. And we've got to understand, please hear this. What we win people with is what we win people to. What we win them with is what we win them to. It better be one with the gospel, the good news, not some added on religious duty we put on. Because people are walking with what we win them with. And so I want to say we've got to 
tell the world. Charles Spurgeon said it's the whole business of the whole church to get the whole gospel to the whole world. Not left to the evangelists. All of us have been entrusted. It's only good news if it gets there in time. So the number one thing about the gospel is it needs to be told to the world. But can I also say it needs to be taught to the church. See, the gospel is real, friends. It's the way of life. Go read Galatians chapter 1 and Galatians chapter 4. It's not just a message. It's a lifestyle. We live the gospel. Another thing can I suggest is it's a regulator for relationships. You can see that in Galatians chapter 2 verse 14. Do you know that our personal issues can actually hinder the progress of the gospel? And let me get in trouble again. Sorry, Russ. I probably won't get invited back. But... but let me tell you what I see. If you don't understand gospel, then you allow your issues with each other in the church to hinder what God's called us to do. And in actual fact, you find it difficult to work with people who hurt you. See, the good news about the gospel is that if you catch gospel and we exist for the gospel, it's what keeps my relationship right with this guy. Because if we have issues, we're hindering the progress of the gospel in Tasmania. We, we're hindering the gospel in the city, in this country, and in the nations of the world because we carry issues. And the devil loves us to carry issues because we're hindering the good news getting out. But if we understand, this is what regulates. I can work with all types. I can work with people who have big baggy jeans and not jeans and whatever. Why? Because it's for the gospel. But if it's not about the gospel, then I don't like that person. I can't work with that. And here's what God's testing me on more and more, because it's easy to preach on this, is that people who have really hurt me, hurt us, who've written stuff about me and us that have never met me, or if they have, they've been offended and hurt, and they've put blogs in. Don't go read them, please, because they're out there, and it's not helping the cause. But if you go, there's blogs out there about me and NCMI. And I'm just asking, please don't. If you've read them, just ignore them. But, but the point I'm making is that guys have put stuff out because they've been hurt. Then they have this revelation of they were wrong. And they come back and say, we're sorry. And I'm like, it's cool. We forgive you. And then they say, can we be friends? And we're like, yeah. And then they can we come back? And we're like, yeah, then they, can we come back and plant again with you? Now can we come back to, and you want to say, delete that whole website, that, it's too late, everyone's read it. But if we don't understand gospel, we say never. We say gospel, yeah, we'll work it out. God's testing me this regularly. You ask some of these guys. They know the guys who've burned me are now, hey, we want to be back. Can you forgive us? Yeah. Can we join you again? Uh, yeah. We're going to have to work this through. But for the sake of the gospel, we can work stuff out. I mean, I don't know your history here in Launceston, but I want to know, I know Australia because I've ministered and led church in Australia for many years. This nation has had some history of some division. And with all due respect, we can throw rocks and point fingers or we can get revelation to say we need all hands on deck. It doesn't mean we, 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 we forget. It means we work together. We work our stuff out and we stop getting in the way because this gospel is a regulator for me to have a right relationship with you. And this is important, friends, because God wants His church to thrive in this season here in Tasmania, in Launceston. Another thing is it reveals the standard for Christian living. Philippians 1.27, Paul says, Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. 
Who's he talking to? The church. Conduct yourselves, myself, in a manner worthy of the gospel. All right, two more things. Let's go quick, Joel. There's a lot of talk about the gospel. Well, I want to tell you there's a context to the gospel. And that context is the kingdom. Tomorrow I want to spend a bit of time talking about the kingdom, so I don't want to take too long to nap. I want to tell you this. This is the context of the gospel. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. Then just preach some gospel. It's not some gospel-centered God. It's kingdom. It's the gospel of the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom is near. All these texts that Jesus spoke about was about the kingdom. So the gospel is in the context of the kingdom. And I, I don't know if I certainly don't understand fully the kingdom, but this I want to tell you. It's not some abstract thing. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. Wherever God rules and reigns, that's the kingdom. Russ got up here and said tonight, someone's got a sore back and some young guy put his hand up and said, that's him. If we pray for that young guy and he gets healed, the kingdom, the rule and reign of God's come in his life. If we throw the net out, someone gets saved here tonight, the rule and reign of God has come tonight. When we see restoration of marriages and when we see breakthrough financially, not by ripping off the government or not paying your taxes, but by the sovereignty of God, the rule and reign. God rules and reigns now, not one day only. People say, are you kingdom now? I don't even know how to answer that. Because yes, I believe there is kingdom now. But I also understand one day we'll all be fully, when Jesus returns, we'll live in. But this gospel, this kingdom, friends, we're about the kingdom of God, not about the church. We're not about our ministries, about rule and reign. Bring in the advancement of the kingdom, the rule and reign of God, wherever we go. See, this gives freedom to business people here tonight who suddenly get excited to know they can serve God through business. They don't have to be a preacher or plant a church because it's kingdom. We've all been given an inheritance. We've all been given an influence. And wherever we go, we bring in the rule and reign of God. How are you there, friends? This, this gospel's not some random message. It's linked to the kingdom of God. Now, I've often had times with my dad. Again, just, I've just been in Adelaide. And my dad's just, he was part of the guys who began some of this stuff we're walking in today. And I'm often overwhelmed. I'll say, you know, Dad, just explain to me again how, how are we going to do this? I mean, like, look at the world and look at all the nations and the people. And you know what? It's, this is his, always his answer, tyrant. In things big and small, in all things, the gospel. The solution to it all. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom, the provision we're all looking for. Jesus said, don't get caught up in what you will eat and drink. Seek first the kingdom. I want to tell you, in all things, big and small, the kingdom first, the rule and reign of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added. You see, I believe the church is in the kingdom and I believe the kingdom is in the church. But I don't believe the church is the kingdom. Because if the church is the kingdom, then your pastor is the king. And no matter how awesome your pastor is, he's not Jesus. Jesus is the king of His kingdom. And so I believe we, the church, have a role to play in advancing the kingdom. And the kingdom is in the church and we are in the kingdom. But the church is not the king. We're the agency, according to Matthew 16. We're the agency through which the kingdom of God comes. We're the vehicle. The church has been given keys of the kingdom. 
So I believe all of us, not just our leaders, all followers of Christ have been entrusted to administrate and advance the kingdom of God, the rule and reign here on earth. Isn't that awesome? I know that the church is not the kingdom because I've seen the church shake, split a lot. And the Bible says the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. And I've been in some shakings in the church. And I want to say with all the pain, I'm grateful that on this side of eternity we can sort it out because we all think it's kingdom till the shaking comes. Let's fix it. Because the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. And I want to say, please hear this. We need a kingdom-shaped view of the church. Not a church-shaped view of the kingdom. We've got to see the church through kingdom eyes, not our king, the kingdom through church eyes. We've got to see it the way God intended. Do you know that there are two kingdoms in conflict? And I love the notion that everyone should all just get along. And I love the notion that if every guy just believes what they believe, we can all hang out in the same place. Friends, if you're church-focused, honestly, then everyone can get along. But if you're kingdom-focused, you realize there's two kingdoms. And they're not side by side. They're in conflict. There's a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. We're not fighting them, but just know we can't all get along. There's no utopia here on earth. We can. If we're just about the church, yeah, do your thing, we'll do ours. If you're about the kingdom, there's conflict. Don't be surprised by the conflict of darkness and light. They're not side by side. They clash. That's why we, gotta, we can't coexist. If you're church-focused, we can. If you're kingdom-focused, we can't. And I think if a church without a kingdom vision eventually becomes selfish and self-serving, if you don't have a kingdom vision, it's about us, me, my family, the church. You know what the most amazing thing about this kingdom is this. It's only in the kingdom of God, when you raise the white flag in surrender, that's the only time you find victory. Everywhere else, when you surrender, when you put the flag up in, in defeat, you are condemned. You're defeated. But in the kingdom of God, when you raise your flag of, I surrender, that's when you find victory. And I want to tell you, it's not a one-off. Not when you come to Jesus. It's every day we should surrender to find victory in the kingdom of God. And the last thing I want to say, Joel, please. And you might notice this is a taller one, and there's a reason. Because this kingdom is about the king. Centrality of Jesus. The kingdom is basically made up of two things. Subjects and a king. And to be honest, the kingdom doesn't exist for the subject. I live in America. I don't want to get into our political re arena right now. But America rejected the queen that you guys wonderfully serve right Okay, anyway. We want a democracy. We want to have a vote. We want to say in everything. And that sounds brilliant. But this kingdom will never be about that. Because there's a king. And everything in this kingdom exists for the king. Uh, are you hearing this? So maybe I could say it like this. When God looks at our lives... 
He sees it in the context of the local church. But he sees the local church in the context of the Great Commission. But he sees the Great Commission in the context of the Gospel. He sees the Gospel in the context of the Kingdom, and he sees the Kingdom in the context of the King. And I guarantee that majority of us like one of these or all of these. This is our leaning. But I want to tell you, these things without this lose value and have no significance. So actually, to put it like this, And this is how we're going to land. I believe, ultimately, my life is in the context of the King. The life that I live, that you live, is in the context of the King. It's not just the local church. It's actually to live a life in the context of the King. Do you know that gives significance to everything I do? The stuff people see or don't see. You know, I'm married. I'm a better husband to my wife when I live my life in the context of a king. I'm a better friend to the people I'm friends with. I'm a better leader in the church when I live a life in the context of a king. So everything in our lives is ultimately to be lived in the context of the king. Centrality of Jesus. The local church actually is to be lived in the context of the king. Now we get in trouble. Why? Because suddenly our leaders are not there to impress us or even have to do what we want. They've got to do what he wants. See, so you know those messages we don't agree with? We're going to find a church that tells us we're awesome. Well, Jesus wants you to know he's awesome and that you need to get ready for him because he's coming back for you. Mature, grow up. Who wants to be told that? Jesus wants us to be told that so we'll be ready for Him to come back to us. Do you see that, friends? So suddenly it changes even how we lead the local church. These people don't belong to us, and while we lay down our lives for them, Jesus purchased them with His blood. And I need to tell them what He wants them to hear, not I'm going to tell them how awesome I am. The Great Commission is then really in the context of the king. The gospel is in the context of the king. Oh, by the way, the kingdom is in the context of the king. These, with all due respect, have no significance if they're not linked to this. Yet I think many of us make these the focus. In all things, he will have first place. Life, local church, gospel, great commission, kingdom. He'll have first place in everything. And these are not bad, but they are bad if they take the place of this. And that's why we've got to come back to this again and again. Whatever your sway, whatever your leaning, whatever your gifting, friends, we find value and significance only in this. Is Jesus truly supreme in your life, my life? Does he have first place in everything? There's such a challenge for us as God's people today to find significance. And I just keep going back to this thing, identity crisis. It is everywhere and it's even in the church. 
And Jesus says, as I land this, in Matthew 16, the great text, when Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? No, 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 what are they saying about you? What are people out there saying about me? You know the story. They say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, or Elijah, or Elisha, or one of the prophets. In other words, you're a good guy doing some good things. Now, if I was Jesus, I would be pretty upset, ticked off by that response. Why? Because that's not who Jesus is. And if I was Jesus, I would have said, honestly, disciples, wait here. Let me go show them who I am. I would have walked over there and I would have thunderbolts and I would have wiped some people out. I would have brought disease over so many reasons why I'm not Jesus. But I would have done all the stuff and said, now who do you say I am? And you're laughing because you would have done the same. But Jesus didn't seem too bothered by what they say. Because he moved from what are they saying to what do you say? Why did he cross that? Because he knew that what his people, what his followers, what his church thinks of him, sees him to be, will actually be more important because that's what the world will get to see who Jesus really is. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the, you're the Messiah, you're deity, not want to be Jesus, not want to be God, not mini God, not play play, not imitation. You're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God, you are deity. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, and you are blessed. Because that was not revealed to you by a man. But by my Father in heaven. Flesh and blood didn't show you that. My Father showed you that. And then for the first time he says, and you are Peter. Your deity revelation gives you dignity. You are Peter. I'm changing your name. I'm giving you identity now that you know who I am. You don't know who you are till you only know who he is. We travel to conference to conference. Let's be honest, we do. And I love conferences. But we go there and we want to know, just tell me who I am. I just want to know who I am. That's the question we all... And Jesus says, you'll never know who you are till you know who I am. Now that you know who I am, I'm going to tell you who you are. You are Peter. And then he says, for the first time in history, he talks about the church he's building. And on this rock, and can I just suggest, he's not saying, I'm building my church on a man. Can you imagine what hope the church has if it's built on a man? Even a good man. No hope. Man is not the hope. So Jesus said, I'm building my church on your revelation of me. In other words, I'm building my church on me. But your revelation of me. And then he begins to talk about this church that's unstoppable, not hanging on and hoping for the best. It's a church that's storming the gates of hell. It's a church that's taking ground. It's a church that's front-footed. Why? Because it's built on the revelation of Jesus. And it's the church he's building, and we're a part of what he's doing. But it's back to who, not what Tazzy or Launceston say about Jesus. What do you say about him? Not your pastor, your leader, your church. You Ma'am, sir, who do you say he is? The biggest battlefront in the church today and in the kingdom is the truth about Jesus Christ. The reduced Jesus, the philosopher, the co-pilot. 
the prominent but not preeminent. May God help you and help me to truly daily live with the revelation of the King that we will live our lives in the context of Jesus the King. And I honestly believe we can never lose our way. And we will grow from strength to strength. And when we grow up, we grow out. And the mission automatically has impact around because of our revelation of Jesus. But when we reduce Jesus to someone or something other than He really is, we've lost the battle. And we get busy with the wrong thing. And I don't know where you're at this evening, but I feel tonight the Lord wants to just bring us back just to the revelation of who Jesus really is. Because everything else that is said has to be built on this revelation. Constantly. Not asking you tonight, are you saved? I trust you are. I'm asking, how's your walk with Jesus? And is He grow, growing in our revelation of King Jesus and living for Christ? Or is He an add-on or tag-on? Or has He been reduced to a little God? Maybe God one day wishes He was God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in Jesus. Jesus is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Tomorrow I want to talk about the Holy Spirit, but in the light of Jesus, the King. Otherwise the Holy Spirit becomes our focus rather than Jesus. And even the Holy Spirit's job, role, is to glorify Jesus. So if you love Jesus, you'll love His Spirit. Do you know you can love the church and not love Jesus? But you can't love Jesus and not love His church. And that's why we need the revelation of Christ again and again and again. Can we close our eyes for a moment, please? It's okay, Russ, if I pray. Tim, will you just come out? Is it okay? We, I don't want to drag it on here. I want to honor your time. But I just would, uh, for a few moments, just... Uh, Why don't we just respond where we are? We don't need to come out to the front. We I don't know how you need to respond. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm simply saying there's a moment right here for us to just allow some business to be done. Not to go home and think about it. Not go home and... This is not food for thought. <laughs> this is truth that actually liberates but there's adjustment that's got to come. I'm not asking, do you love Jesus? I'm not asking, do you know Jesus? I'm asking, is He central in everything we are and everything we do? I'm asking, is He truly preeminent? Does He have first place? He really has it, but have we given it Him first place in all? This place of surrender brings victory, friends. I even believe that some people will find victory tonight. Maybe in things you've been struggling with. Maybe it's this thing of surrender. You've been trying to do stuff, even with a good heart and intention, but you can't do it till you surrender. I really do believe that the Lord wants to lift His church to high levels in this season, here in this region, us in this room. It's got to be grounded in this revelation of Christ. Who do you say that He is? we say, Jesus, you are worthy of it all. Maybe just posture yourself, if you wouldn't mind, however you can or want to, just in a place of surrender. Just allow there's some dealings in our hearts, submission, 
surrender. And if Jesus is king, then you're living for the guidance of the king. You're letting him guide us, seeking his governance. What is it you will have, Lord? Not, I'm going to tell you what to do. No, no. What would you have me do, Jesus? Seeking the glory of the king. Maybe some of us would rather get the glory. The Lord says, no, no. If I'm the king, you're seeking my glory, not your glory. So, Father, this evening in this room, we obviously are all in different places, all different people, all carrying different responsibilities in your kingdom. But we are equal. Our lives matter. Our lives have significance because of you, Jesus. Our revelation of you is not up to others, it's up to us. Even tonight, God, I believe you want to reveal more of Jesus to every one of us. So we surrender. Say you're worthy of it all, Jesus. Let this be a watershed for some of us where we don't have concepts and theories and not even theologies, but revelation of Christ, the King. So just come, Holy Spirit, we pray, and have your way. Reveal to us the awesomeness of Jesus. Come and bring victory where there has been people who surrender. Would you bring victory tonight? Say you're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things. To you are all things. And you deserve the glory, Jesus.